Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Hallelujah. How many of you have found John chapter 19? If you haven't found John chapter 19 yet, just close your Bible and look on with a neighbor. Amen. John chapter 19, verse 30 says, so when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. He died on the cross. And he said, it is finished. I want to talk to you about that today. This, this statement and declaration is, is one of the most famous and uh, we should say uh, evocative uh, 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 declarations to ever come from the lips of the master. A lot has been written about what Jesus said about those three words, it is, it is finished. Like I said, they're very famous. People have, have, have preached on it and, and written about it and, and the half has not been told. You, you can never say enough about anything Jesus said. But uh, like I said, it's, it's very famous and, and a lot's been written about it. And we're gonna talk about what he said, but I want you to notice before we get to that what he didn't say. Notice when Jesus, Jesus said, it is finished. Notice he didn't say, I am finished. Jesus did not say, I am finished. Nor did he say, you are finished. <laughs> he said, it is finished. We're gonna talk about, I am finished. You are finished or not. But before we do that, we don't want to overlook that it is finished because that was important too. There's a lot of popular teaching today about the finished work of Christ that tends to give the impression that everything regarding our salvation is finished. But that is not true. I said everything regarding our salvation, I said regarding our salvation is not finished. Many people seem to have the impression that quote unquote resting in grace means God requires nothing from them. This isn't true either. There is yet much to be done. So what was finished? What was Jesus talking about when he said it is finished? Now there are two primary schools of thought and uh, I personally think there's merit in both of them. They seem to be, you know, like mutually exclusive but I don't believe they are. I think they fit together and, and like I said, I think there's merit in both views. The most popular view is when Jesus said it is finished that he was saying our redemption, man's redemption was finished. The objection to that is that Jesus couldn't have been referring to redemption because it wasn't finished. He hadn't even died yet. He hadn't been buried. He hadn't been raised from the dead. He hadn't ascended. So there's an argument to be made that redemption wasn't finished when he said that. So the other school of thought is, since it wasn't redemption he was talking about, uh, is talking about the old covenant. 
And there's a lot of merit in that. I want you to compare what we just read here. Let's go back, uh, let's go back to verse 28 and get the context here. After this, after saying, uh, behold your mother uh, to John, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scriptures might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. I want you to compare that with Matthew's gospel. Go to the 27th chapter of Matthew. You know, you have to look at all of the gospels on any particular uh, event and compare all that was said to get a full picture. Somebody was asking me not long ago about the, uh, the, the series of events that took place on the morning of the resurrection. If you read the gospels, if you read John or if you read Matthew and then later you read Mark and then three months later you read Luke and some year later you read John, uh, sometimes you get uh, an idea that there's a conflict. You know, these things are, are contradictory. You have to put it all together and you get the picture. And so here in Matthew's gospel, we get another version of this. And uh, let's start here in verse number, start in verse number 45. Now from the sixth hour, that would be noon, approximately noon. Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, from around noon to around three o'clock, there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice. Now notice, he cried out with a loud voice. Now he's gonna cry out with a loud voice again. But he cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood there when they heard that said, this man is calling for Elijah. Immediately one of them ran with, and, and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink. Now, we just read about that. John recorded that part. He just didn't record this other part. So he filled this, uh, uh, one of, the, of, the, uh, of those that stood there, took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put it on a reed, offered him to drink. The other said, let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice. Evidently, this is when he cried out, it is finished. He cried out once and then he cried out again because it says here, he cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Well, what did he cry out? Well, according to John, he cried out, it is finished. Go with me over to Mark's gospel and let's look at this in chapter 15. Mark chapter 15. And let's start at verse number 33. Now, when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, that is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood by when they heard that said, look, he is calling for Elijah. Then someone ran and filled a sponge full of sour wine, put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink, saying, let him alone, let us see if Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Again, evidently, he cried out, it is finished. He cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. 
Now, Luke's gospel is, is very similar to these. It just gets the order slightly different. But we have this, this same testimony that Jesus cried out once, Lama, uh, Eli, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was offered the sour wine, and then he cried out, it is finished. Uh, now, if you, uh, you're, you're in Matthew 15, right? I'm, excuse me, Mark chapter 15. Uh, notice in verse 37, and Jesus cried out with a loud voice. Evidently, he said, it is finished. Now, notice, then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So when the centurion who stood opposite saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. Notice that immediately after Jesus said, said it is finished and, and breathed his last, that the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Go back over to Matthew 27 again. Matthew 27. Verse 50, Jesus cried out again, evidently, it is finished, and yielded up his spirit. Then behold, now the word behold means to look. Then the, 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 the uh, writer said, then look, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked and the rocks were split, and other things happened we won't go into. But I want you to notice in both of these uh, references here, when Jesus said, it is finished immediately, and the Spirit of God want us, wanted us to look and take note of this, that immediately the, the veil in the temple was torn completely in two, starting at the top and going to the bottom. Now, the veil was that veil that separated, there, there were really three courts to the, to the temple on the temple grounds. There was the outer court, the congregation court where everybody came and mingled. Then the more important uh, parts of the, of the priestly duties took place in the two next courts. There was the, the, the next outer court, uh, which was where the priest went in every day and offered up sacrifices and did different things and, and blood was shed and so forth. But then there was an inner court called the most holy place. And this was a place that was completely uh, vacant from all human activity for 364 days every year. But on one day a year was the only time any human being went into that inner court. Once a year, the high priest would go in on the great day of atonement and would offer up the, the sacrificial blood that was there to cover the sins of the people until the next year. And in that inner, in that inner uh, area, that inner court, there was an ark, there were uh, uh, emblems of gold, the seraphim and cherubim and so forth that were fashioned out of pure gold over with their wings, you know, uh, uh, looking over the ark, and God's Shekinah glory. You know, we have a musical group that we love named Shekinah glory. Well, they take their name from the glory that dwelled inside that temple. God lived and inhabited among men inside that most holy place. God's manifest, of course, we know God is everywhere in the sense of his, of his uh, omniscience, 
But God's manifested presence in the earth was restricted to that most holy place. It's also called the Holy of Holies. That God's presence wasn't outside of that. Unless occasionally God would appear like he did, you know, in Moses' day, he would appear in the cloud, you know, and, and, and so forth, and people would see his glory. But after the temple was built, his glory stayed inside that place. That veil, uh, historians and, and Jewish traditionalists tell us that that veil was 60 feet tall and four inches thick. And it was made out of woven uh, fabrics and linen and different things. And, uh, and what it signified was a separation that the way into God's presence was restricted. You couldn't just go in there only the high priest could go. Anyone else tried to go in there, they would die immediately. They would be struck down by the presence of God. You say, will God's presence strike you down? Yeah. <laughs> in, in that, in that uh, degree and in that day, yes. Even the high priest, when he would go into the, into the holy place, he would have to uh, make sure that he was completely uh, walking in obedience and that all of his sins had been confessed and he was doing everything. There was a lot of, of regulation and, and uh, 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 ritual and things that had to be observed before that high priest could go in. And the high priest tradition tells us that the high priest would, would wear uh, 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 a rope tied to one of his legs and that rope would trail behind him as he went into the temple and he would have bells on, on his garment. And, and as long as the people in the second, the priest in the second uh, uh, area, uh, as long as they heard the bells moving or heard the bells uh, ringing, they knew the priest, the high priest was moving and they knew all was well. But if the, if the bell stopped ringing for any length of time, they knew something was, was wrong and the priest, you know, the high priest wasn't uh, doing what he was supposed to do and he had died. And so the rope was to pull him out by his feet. Uh, all of that testifies, all of that signifies to the fact that the way into the presence of God was not available to men. Well, on the day Jesus cried out, it is finished, immediately from some unseen hand, 60 feet up in the air, took and tore that four-inch curtain completely apart. What this signified was that God would no longer dwell in a temple made by man's hands, that the day was coming when he would dwell in these temples. Oh, glory to God. Oh, hallelujah. Our bodies are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. See, we don't talk about that enough. That's not my message today, but you just can't talk about it enough. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. How, how, uh, uh, how seldom do we really think about it? How, how, how little, I should say, be a better word, how little do we really reflect upon the, the wonderful truth that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that his, his Shekinah glory dwells in us. I tell you what, if we, if we reflected on it like we should, it would straighten out a lot of things. 
A lot of people wouldn't live the way they live if they were conscious that that same presence that men feared and would tremble before, that that same presence that was so holy and was so valued and so esteemed is, is, is in it on the inside of us. I tell you what, it would, it would make a difference on where you take your body. Amen. What you do with your body, it would have an impact. So like I said, how little we, uh, we really reflect on these things like we should. So this signified that God's presence would not be restricted to a man-made temple, but that his presence would be on the inside of us. It also signified the fact that we can come into God's presence, we can come before God boldly. Go with me to the book of Hebrews, and let's look, I think it's the ninth chapter, we'll look real quick. Hebrews chapter, no, uh, chapter 10, I'm sorry. Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. You know, that, that statement right there, to an, to an Old Testament person, to an Orthodox Jew, and particularly in those days when, when, when uh, uh, that's all they knew, to someone from, from that time, a Jewish person, have boldness to enter the holiest. Are you crazy? Entering it at all, let alone boldly. Having, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest, that's the holy of holies, by the blood of Jesus. Now notice, by a new and living way which he consecrated through, uh, consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. See, when Jesus said it is finished, that meant that the old covenant had come to an end. God's presence moved out of the Holy of Holies that day. And when, and on the resurrection morning, when the first woman came and saw and believed that Jesus had been raised from the dead, that presence entered into her. And it comes into, to, to, uh, in, inside every believer. As soon as a person makes Jesus Lord of their life, that presence that was in that holy place, that spirit comes to live on the inside of us. But not only that, Jesus' body became the veil. And, and his body was torn. His body was bruised. His body was, was, was ripped asunder so that we could come into the presence of God. Oh, glory to God. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Glory to God. There's no reason to fear. I said there's no reason to fear. If you're in Christ, if you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, you have the, have the right and the privilege every moment to do something that a Jewish person wouldn't even think of doing couldn't even conceive of doing, of coming into God's presence. You can come on Sunday morning, Monday morning, Tuesday night, Wednesday afternoon, and all day Saturday, glory to God. I mean, just come into his presence anytime. And you can come boldly, 
You can draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having your heart sprinkled from an evil conscience and your body washed with pure water. Glory to God. And we come into his presence not moaning and groaning and whining and complaining. He said, let us come in holding fast the confession of our faith. Glory to God. He wants us to come into his presence with his word on our lips, with his promises in our mouth, with our heart full of faith. Glory to God. Not, not coming in here telling on somebody else and, and talking about how, how bad it is and what the dead. He doesn't want to know what the devil's doing. You don't need to go to God. Well, look what the devil's doing. Look what Sister Jones is doing. And no, come into his presence telling him what he's promised. Amen. Glory to God. Hold fast the confession of faith without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Glory to God. And let us consider one another. It's good to consider one another. Not to complain about one another. Amen. Not to gossip about one another. Consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the, I'm getting off on another subject now. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together I saw some uh, a debate this past week on Facebook by, by a bunch of ministers. And one man wrote, you know, that he, he ran into somebody that said that they don't, he asked them, you know, where they went to church and they said, I don't go to church because I have church at home. I, I have church on the inside of me and I, I, I go to church at home. And so this man, of course, he knew the answer, but he posed this question. He said, is it possible for someone to have church on their own? And you should have heard all of the different comments. You would think preachers would know better. Most said, no, you can't really have church at home. That You know, you're part of the body of Christ. But others, people I know, people I personally know, said, well, you know, we're, we're all believers and, and we're all part of the church and we can come together with our, you know, with our family and we can have church. No, you can't. I said, no, you can't. Yeah, you're part of the body of Christ, but you're also part of a local body. And if you're not part of a local body, you're, you're not right. I said, if you're not part of a local body, I'm preaching to the choir here, I know. If you're not part of a local body, you're not right. You're not, you're not doing right. Because God calls us together in local assemblies. He, we don't, like I say so often, we don't just gather together. We don't just assemble together. We just don't, we don't just meet on our own. Sometimes we, we mistakenly say that. We'll come up, you know, at the start of a service. Oh, it's great for us to, to assemble together like we've called ourselves together or we decided to do this. Every time we assemble together, we assemble together because the Spirit of God is calling us. He calls us together. Amen. Amen. Now, how often we meet together, God works with us on this. He works with us. And he allows us to establish the time. Some people meet on uh, Sunday morning. Some people don't meet on Sunday night. Some people have a midweek on Tuesday night. Some on Wednesday night. He, he, he works with us in establishing the times because there's a standing call. There's a, we could meet together every day. It wouldn't be too much. They did in the early days. They met together every day. So, you, so, so it would be an order. Am I starting something? No, don't, don't worry. I'm just saying it would be an order to meet together every day. Why? Because there's a standing invitation from God to, to meet together. But like I said, he, he, he lets us establish the times that are good but every time we assemble together, if, if, you're, if, you, 
if you just stay full of the Holy Spirit and conscious of his presence, you will notice that when those days come around, Sunday morning comes around, Sunday night, or Wednesday in our, in our case, even though you're busy, even though you have important things to do, there's, whether, you, whether you are conscious of it or not, but if, you, if you'll be conscious, you'll note what I'm telling you is true. When the time for church begins to draw close and you start getting it, there's an excitement. There's an anticipation. You know, there's something about, you know, it's not like getting together. It's, you don't feel the same getting ready for church like you do jury duty. Now, jury duty, you're called, but you don't enjoy it, Isn't that right? You're griping the whole time about it. But I'm telling you, if you just stay halfway full of the Spirit, when time for church comes around, there's just an anticipation begins to build on the inside of you, even though you have things to do and you have children to take care of and you have all of these things and sometimes it's frustrating and things are falling apart and you get aggravated. There's still something on the inside. Oh, I get to go to church, get together together. What is that? That's like I said earlier. That the psalmist said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. That's the ecclesia. That's the church. That's the drawing. Hallelujah, I'm not, that's not my message. Not forsaking the calling together of ourselves as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Glory to God. This trend today of fewer and fewer church services could not possibly be by the leading of the Holy Ghost. I said it couldn't possibly be. You know, when a church has a tradition for, you know, most people's uh, uh, experience is for decades they've gone to church three times a week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. When that's been established for decades and you're in the habit of that, that God's drawing you, you know, uh, and he's working with you on the, on, the, on the times, like I said, but once that's established, you think for a minute that the Holy Spirit is leading people to, to, to get rid of Sunday night service? <laughs> I don't any more believe that than anything in the world. I'm sure the Holy Spirit's not saying, you know what, just stay home tonight and watch television. It would be better. No. It says here so much the more, not so much the less. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So we can say that it's true that the emphasis there was on when he said it is finished that the veil of the temple was torn in two, signifying that the old covenant, the old approach to God had passed away and something new was happening. What about the other idea? When he said it is finished, he was talking about redemption. Well, the argument is it wasn't finished. Now, I personally think that Jesus was speaking prophetically there. He wasn't just talking about a, a finality of right now. Remember another time, but just, just prior to that, Jesus talking about the devil, he said, now the prince of this world is cast out. Well, he hadn't been cast out yet. What was Jesus doing? He was speaking prophetically. I think, and this is just my opinion, I, I think that he was talking uh, about what had happened up to this point and looking forward to what was about to happen.
Because up to this point, Jesus had finished everything God had required of him. In John chapter 17, you know, in, in his great high priestly prayer, Jesus said in, in prayer, he said, Father, I have finished everything you gave me to do. So in that sense, Jesus had finished every work that God had given him to do in his humiliation, in his time as, as the example of men, the teacher, the, the spotless lamb of God, he had performed everything and it was finished. If you think about it, at the time Jesus said, you know, there was darkness from noon until three as the sins of this world fell upon our blessed Savior, as he was overcome by the sin and the weight of sin, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Cut off from the presence of God. When he said, it is finished, actually he said something else that only, I think only Luke's gospel records it. Go over with me to Luke's gospel. Let's go to Luke 23, I think. Luke 23. Now it was about the sixth, this is verse 44. It was about the sixth hour and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, now we know he actually did this before the veil was torn, so this doesn't contradict it, it just says it differently. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Now see, we don't have that in, in Matthew, Mark, or John, only in Luke. So Jesus really said two things there at the end. He said, it is finished. And then he said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And then he died. What was he saying? I've done everything I can do. Now it's up to you. When Jesus gave up the, the ghost, like the old King James says, when he bowed his head and surrendered his spirit, he said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. At that point, there was nothing he could do any longer. It was the next move was on God. The next phase of redemption, redemption was all of the Father because Jesus bowed his head and commended himself into the hands of God. And we know that, that he was taken, that he went into the dark places of, of the damned he went into hell itself to suffer all of the consequences of sin in faith, trusting that God would bring him out. Amen. Oh, glory to God. And when he was there under the dominion of darkness, under the dominion of, of spiritual death, he was helpless until God quickened him. The Bible says he was justified in spirit. He was made alive in spirit. That was something he couldn't do for himself. That was something he couldn't do for him. He, when he said it is finished, he said, no, God, it's all up to you. I'm, I'm commending my spirit into your hands. 
knowing that he wouldn't be able to take the next step himself, that only his father could bring him out. And when justice had been served, when justice had been done, God spoke, glory to God, and he was made alive in spirit. He was, he, his righteousness was restored. His place of sonship was restored. He was made right again, glory to God. And that fellowship that he had always enjoyed with the Father was suddenly restored. And it wasn't of his doing at all, it was of God's doing. The Bible says if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. It was the Father that raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus didn't raise himself. The Father quickened him and raised him up. Oh, glory to God. So when he said it was finished, his part was finished up to that point. But then he had more work to, be, to, to do. Oh, hallelujah. After he had been quickened, made alive in spirit, that's when he actually defeated the devil. Colossians says at that point that he spoiled principalities and powers Glory to God. Those evil spirits that were around him and were holding him down because he had died in place of you and me and in our, with our sins upon him, when, the, when, when God set him free from that, he took those evil spirits. I mean, he cleaned house. In the, in, the, in the darkest regions of the universe. He cleaned house. I'm telling you what, he threw those things off and he defeated the devil. Just, the Bible says he destroyed the works of the enemy right there. Glory to God. And then God raised him from the dead. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. So when he, when he said it is finished, he didn't say I was finished because he wasn't. In one sense, he had only started. I don't have time to go in today because it's, after, after, it's already afternoon. It's after the noon hour. He rose up as our high priest. He has a high priestly ministry. He rose up as our advocate. He, he is our advocate before God. He is our intercessor. Glory to God. He is the baptizer in the Holy Ghost. He is the head of the church and we reign through him. Can I read this to you from Colossians real fast? Glory to God. Ooh, I love the Bible. I love the truth. I love redemption. In the second chapter of Colossians, Hallelujah. Verse number eight says, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the traditions of men. I tell you, the church is full of traditions of men and it will rob you according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Now notice, and you are complete in him. But it doesn't just stop there. Too often, I've read commentaries and too often they stop right there. You are complete in him. And they just go on talking about how we're complete in him and complete in him. We're complete in him, but in this context. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him who is the head of all authority and rule. Jesus is the head. Je We've talked about this a few weeks ago and we were talking about, you know, redemption, how that, how that uh, 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 you know, God gave him the name above every name and, and, uh, and so forth and that, that he made him head over all things for the church. This is what he's saying here. 
You are complete in him who is the head of all authority and rule. See, we're complete in him in that authority and rule. We're complete in him in that authority, in his authority and rule. We've made complete in Christ's authority and rule. We're complete in him who is the head of all principality and power, all authority and rule. He's, he is head over all things, like, like Ephesians says, for the church, and we're complete in that fullness. What's he's head of, we're head of. I said what he's head of, we're head of. What he has authority over, we have authority over. All principality, power, and rule, what he has, has been committed to the church, and he doesn't exercise that authority and rule apart from the church. That's why you see so much trouble going on. That's why you look around sometimes, or natural people look around and say, well, if God's in control, he sure has a mess of everything. He's not in control except to the extent that the church exercises control. Because we're complete in him who is the head of all authority and all rule. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? Hallelujah. Oh, praise God. So he's exercising authority and, and dominion today from heaven through us. He's not as busy as he ought to be. I said he's not as busy as he ought to be because when we don't take our rightful place, then he can't act on everything he's accomplished. He can't act to the fullness of what he can do unless we do something. Oh, hallelujah. That's why he didn't say, you are finished. He's not finished and we're not finished because we still have a lot to do. We still have a lot to lay hold of. Even the apostle Paul said, I do not consider myself to have laid hold of everything. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. He said, I press that I might lay hold of all of those things for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Christ Jesus laid hold of us for the, for the purpose of all those things he laid hold of in the spirit realm. Everything Jesus laid hold of, he did it for us. Everything he laid hold of, all of the authority, all of the grace, all of the power, he did it for us. That's why it says over in, in Mark chapter 16, and they went out and preached the word, the Lord working with them. He wasn't, if they weren't working, he wasn't working. He was working with them, confirming the word through the accompanying signs. If he, if, if, if he had to work with them, he has to work with us. If he couldn't work apart from them, he can't work and doesn't work apart from us. Oh, hallelujah. That's the challenge of this generation of the church. We know these things, we've been taught these things, but we have to, we have to get out of our old habits. We have to shake ourselves and actually start acting Actually start exercising what's been given to us. Yeah. Taking our place. 
He will confirm the word. He won't confirm things that are not according to the word. Amen. That's why it said over in Hebrews, come boldly holding fast to your confession of faith. Is that it's as we hold fast to the confession of God's word, our faith in God's word, and we act on his word, that's what he confirms. He won't confirm anything that's of you unless it's based on the word. It, it's, if it's you acting on the word, yeah, he'll confirm that. But, but when it's just human stuff, when it's just traditional things, th- thoughts and ideas, there is, there is so much going on in the church, so many ideas, so many traditions, so many things people hold to be true that aren't true at all. And that's why they don't work. Somebody said the other day, I think it was Curtis, he was out at my house, he said, you know, whether people, he said, they're the only people that, pop, that can keep their job and so seldom right. <laughs> you know? Well, you know, God is only gonna confirm his word through us. And in the church world, there's so much that's wrong, but people just hold on to it. They hold on to it, and it's not producing anything. They're like bad weathermen. They're always talking about what's gonna happen, what should happen, never happens. But they just keep on praying and hoping it's gonna happen, and it doesn't. It's because God doesn't respond that way. He responds to faith in his word and in faith and his word on our lips. Oh, glory to God. Can you you say amen to that? Let's stand up. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.